Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Come to you from underneath the peach blossom. It's time for an episode of Be Awesome. Find positivity throughout your life and work. Just like our mascot rooster, Steve the Jerk. Hello, Be Awesome listeners. This is episode 40 of the Be Awesome podcast. I'm Joshua Peach. Super excited to be in the hometown. We were just actually in the uh, stadium of the six-time Super Bowl championship uh, New England Patriots. And uh, my friend Rick Green from Lacar Maintenance Systems was kind enough to give me his conference room so I could do this podcast with someone that I just got to know uh, recently but has uh, really... Uh, He's accomplished a lot, he's accomplishing a lot, and he shares a pretty strong message, and I wanted to uh, share it with you guys. So his name is Eddie Slikowski, and he is here with me. Welcome, Eddie. Hey, how you doing? And way to uh, rub it in with the six-time Super Bowl champ from Chicago. So 85 Bears is what I hold on to, and that's about all we got. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Sitting in Gillette today, it's like, wow, so this is what it looks like to be in a winning, uh, winning town. 34 years ago was a, it's a just like, yeah, a, like it was a blink like away. Nothing. So I was yeah, just you a guys, senior in high school. Yeah, you'll get another chance at some <laughs> point, uh, maybe. Uh, Tom's Tom Brady's going to retire when he's 80. So, yeah. uh, but uh, no, welcome, welcome from Chicago, and uh, I've gotten to spend some time with you. So, yep. um, but for the audience, tell a little bit about you, who you are, your history, why you do what you do. Oh man, uh, well I'm 52. Uh, I'm an ex-world-class uh, runner, uh, U.S. track and field a- uh, athlete, ran for the U.S. team. Well, before that, born and raised in Chicago. Um, you know, came out of the city, south side of the city, uh, moved around a little bit when I was young. My father was the first director of manpower development for McDonald's Corporation, and he was good friends with Ray Kroc, and so my dad was good at what he did. So they moved us around a bit, and then we landed back in Chicago where my dad uh quit McDonald's. Uh, my mom had a nervous breakdown. She was an agoraphobic, couldn't leave her, leave the house for three years when I was three till I was, till I was six. And uh, my dad left McDonald's to help take care of all of us. They started their own company in human resources and human development. Uh, my mom got better. She became a speaker and a consultant who was Emmy, Emmy nominated up against Oprah. So she lost, but she had a special on, uh, public television and she was the one who saw me doing this even though I never did I never thought I would be a speaker a consultant what I do I've been doing for 27 years Um, I was an athlete I got a gold medal for the U.S. indoor team against Great Britain and Russia back in 1990 92 Olympic trials made made the cut to get into the races for the Olympic team but only three guys make it out of about 30 and I wasn't one of them and uh began my uh, career as a reporter at CNN. I was going to work in Chicago. Knew within the first two weeks of that job that it wasn't for me. I just wasn't passionate about it. I'm a very emotional, sensitive guy, and being a reporter, and I wasn't even that yet. I was just following those guys around and learning the ropes, and it was very depressing because of the, the stories they were you know, reporting on. And, uh, and my mom had a speech she had to give, uh, a high school leadership conference. 
20, almost 27 years ago, I think, to the day. It was November, um, and today's what's, today's November what? 22nd. Yeah. Could, yeah. Have been, could have been 27 years ago almost, today. Almost Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so she needed help. She got sick and asked me if I'd fill in. And she like she always said, you're going to do this. I'm telling you, you're going to love this. You're going to do this. And so I filled in for her, and that was it. She was right. I loved it. I was passionate about it. Um, it just kind of found me. And sometimes the best things in life, that's how it works. You know, stay true to who you are, be authentic, and the right things will come your way. So, uh, yeah, that's what... Uh, that's how it began, and today here I was at Gillette Stadium speaking. I've been there th- three times now, and for the MIAA, so it was uh, student athletes, leadership. It was also their coaches, their athletic directors, administrators, and a lot of student athletes. And uh, yeah, and then got to meet you, got to hang out with you last <laughs> night, and uh, uh, I've got a new friend. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely, and. Uh, we missed one kind of critical piece of, of your athleticism that you sit in a very, very small pool of humans. Forgot about that. Yeah, you <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, I kind of missed that. Yeah. Um, you were number 100, and, you're the 169th, and I, and I did some research last night. The tally up to 2017 is about 450 Americans. Oh, so okay. you, were number, you were the 169th American to run a sub four minute mile. And there's right around 1,400 that have run a four-minute mile. Um, worldwide? That's worldwide. Worldwide. Wow, I didn't know that. Since Sir Roger Bannister in 1954, yep. um, no woman has ever run a subpar four-minute mile. So that's 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 out there and ready to go right. uh, waiting. Um, you know, that's I – t- I talk a lot about people's four-minute miles. Like they should all – you know, not all of us can run fast. But a lot of us can work fast or faster or do something to raise the bar or to try to do something or accomplish something we've never done or maybe individually we've never done, but to, to do better. You know, kind of my grandfather used to always say, do better. Um, mm-hmm. Just to touch on, um, for, for the audience to understand what having to run a four-minute mile, you talked about the the, um, the rabbit, the, the, the person yeah. that – give a little description of, you know, you just – you know, because I asked you last night to, to just get up one day and – run around, you know, until you hit a mile under four minutes. There's a lot of work that goes, a lot of prep work that goes into it. There's a lot of actual, because running's looked at as an individual sport, right? right? Yeah. There's a lot more to it in a four-minute mile attempt as it being a team sport. And share share what that looks like. Yeah, so, um, you know, when I actually did it, it was set up. You know, it was, it was a race. I, I ran 403 three times in a row, and I couldn't seem to get under 403 at my, all my training. So the training, a lot of the conditioning – you do what's called a lot of interval training. So it's like, you know, if there's four quarters in a mile, four, you know, four, uh, 400 meter laps in a mile on an outdoor track, indoor track, it's, that's what I did it indoors. So it's a lot more laps. It's shorter distance around. So you, it was 200 yards, uh, eight laps. But um, you got to condition your body to run. So 60 seconds a lap is a four minute mile. Okay. Mm-hmm. 60 seconds a quarter. Mm-hmm. And so we would do stuff like, you know, 30 of them. And you do them, you, you just, you know, well, 30 is a lot. I mean, some, sometimes it would be like 20 mm-hmm. or 16. And you start off and you say, okay, your first set of four is going to be at 64. Second set of four is 62. Third set of four is 60. Fourth set of four, I want them under 60. And, then, and so, so you do a set of four. You do like, you know, a little bit of like maybe a minute, 45 seconds rest of jogging in between. And it's this interval. It's conditioning the body. Conditioning the body to run at a pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was really good at that. I was really good at, like, my coach said, 
put a time in my head. Here's what I want you to do, and I can I can nail it almost down to the mm-hmm. millisecond. Um, so it takes that condition to buy that. So it takes a lot of training with your teammates and can't do it alone. So your teammates really push you and help you. But what's great about the day when um, I actually did it, it was at Boston University. that They're known for this great indoor track that they have, very fast. And, you know, we went out there because my coach was like, wow, your training's you should be able to do this. You're four, I don't know why you're stuck on 403. It's kind of a mental block. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go out there, one of the fastest tracks in the country. We're going to have this. I'm going to talk to the coach out there. We're going to have other athletes coming in, and we're going to set this up so you can have your best shot at it. So they have what's called a rabbit. So my teammate, Andre Fomby, was an 800-meter specialist, so a half-mile guy. And he was, he was All-American in that. He was great, uh, sub-150, sub ran like 148. Um, He's like, I'll, I'll, I'll set the pace. I'll run the first half. That's what a rabbit does. So they go out to the lead. They set the pace. They do it as evenly as they can. So you're running behind them, and you're, you're comfortable. You're conserving your energy. You're calm. You know, you guys got to just wait for that second half of the race. So the easier you can make the first half, the more the second half you're going to have a shot at actually doing this. So he, he set the pace, and he went out there. And I tell him the story that I, I tell when I talk about this is that First lap, he's you know the game plan was he's going to get out to the lead. I got to get right behind him. There's there's about eight guys in this race, so don't let anyone else. You know it's like on our way over here. Yep. Follow me over here. I'm gonna yep. you know I'm gonna lead the way. So I got behind him, and the first lap it feels like we're jogging, but that's because I'm all pumped up, full of adrenaline. Yeah. And so it feels like we're jogging. I'm yelling at him. I'm I'm literally clipping his heels from behind, saying, "Dre, mm-hmm. let's go, man. You pick it up." And he's like, he's "Like Eddie, I got this, man. Calm down. I got. It. I know what I'm doing. He's you know 800 specialist." I'm like, oh man, we're gonna be, we're gonna be slow, you yeah. know. And of course, we were two seconds under where we needed to be. Like at the first lap, he was perfect. Yeah. So I'm like, oh okay. So I had to like, you know. But yeah, there's people that you know they he helped me along the way. And then when we got to the halfway point and he drops out, he was perfect, set a perfect pace, like 159. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's right where we wanted to be. Now it's the second half of the race. He drops out. Now it's up to the runners. And he was, drops out because he's supposed to. He's, he's supposed yeah, to. Yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. supposed to well, help he, the first he, half. Yeah. He's, he's an eight hundred guy. Right. He, he, he would have fallen apart probably the next lap anyway. Yeah. But uh, so now, now there was another guy in the race that I had my eye on. I talk about now comes the game plan. You know, beforehand, you got to have a game plan. How are you going to yeah. do this? And his name was Paul Vandergrift from William and Mary College, and he ran four oh one the week before. So I'm like, he was out there. He's like, oh, Eddie's coming out. He's run four oh three. I'm going to come out, maybe we can push each other to sub four-minute mile. And so I talked to him, and I said, okay, when Andre drops out, I'll do the fifth lap. There's eight laps of the indoor track here. So I said, I'll take the fifth lap if you take the sixth lap. So and he's like, that'll be the plan. And after that, whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So I took the fifth lap, kept a perfect pace, moved into lane two because I'm going to let him pass unencumbered. I'm going to make it easy for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to go around me. I'll move out. You go in. I'll slide behind you. So I move out in lane two, and nobody's coming. There's nobody. <laughs> I don't, I'm not looking back, but I'm just out in lane two. I'm like, okay, where is he? Where is he? And my best friend on the team runs across the infield of track as I'm passing. He's like, hey, he's not there, man. He's hurting. He's falling back. You're going to have to do it yourself. Go, go. Get in lane one. You know, he's like, yeah. tell, made me aware of like, oh, my God, there's nobody out here with me. Right. So then it became just me, and it was uh, the rest of the way, and, and I always talk about, you know, this was the moment of significance. This was the moment because at that point of the race, you start to hurt. Mm-hmm. It starts hurting. I mean, you start to, you know, you're getting tired. 
but this is what you've conditioned your body to deal with, you know, all those intervals we do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, I, like, just in that regard, having, having my, my best friend running up and making me aware, like, that, yeah. that helped a lot. Obviously, Andre helped a lot. Now, Paul was supposed to help, but he wasn't. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. So, you know, I take it the rest of the way myself, and I, I did it. I broke the four-minute mile. Paul Vandergriff ran four flat point four, I think. He just yeah. missed it. Like, just missed it. He was just just yeah. off the pace enough where I ran 358. He ran four, like, just over four flat. Hmm. So he just missed it. <laughs> I felt terrible. He, he ended up breaking it eventually. Yeah, but, I was just going to yeah. ask that he end up. He ended up breaking it eventually. Yeah, I don't know where he stands in the list. I I, I think I'm ahead of him, but I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. And you've done it more than once. Like yeah. You've, you've broken it. It wasn't just like a, a random Thursday you went no, on. No, I broke once. it twice. If it, see, the problem with the mile is we only do that indoors. Mm-hmm. Outdoors is the 1500. So I've broken the equivalent of it outdoors several times. Mm-hmm. Um, but indoors, I only did it twice. Yeah. Because we don't run it that often. The mile's not run outdoors. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, it's got to be on an indoor track usually because that's where they'll run the mile. Yeah. And, yeah. So um, that's amazing, first of all. Congratulations. Thank you. And, Thank and you. you know, it, it, you just kind of let, we just kind of slipped that and I forgot just, about it for a second. <laughs> I knew we were going to get Sitting to here it talking about it. I, I loved, like, loved hearing about yeah. your family. I loved hearing about the upbringing <laughs> and all that stuff. But, you know, I wanted to get to the, to the core of why I originally wanted to meet you, which was, um, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world today, never mind how many people have been here since 1954, mm. and you're in a very small pool. I mean, in, in America, you're uh, one of 450 out of 350 million people today. There's a very small pool of people. Yeah, I'll tell are, you something about that, too. It was very, it, it was so meaningful to me because I always had a love-hate relationship with the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a good athlete. I loved baseball. I was a good basketball point guard. I'm too, I wouldn't have done anything mm-hmm. major with it. I'm too small, but I was good. Yeah. And I loved sports. I loved playing all these sports. And I was so good at running that when I got into high school, it was all decided for me. Not just my, not just my father either. It was like coaches and mm-hmm. you know teachers and people were like you gotta. I want to go out for basketball. They're like, are you crazy? That's the problem with running. Not a problem, but if you're a runner, yeah. cross country's in the fall, indoor track is in the winter, and outdoor track is in the spring. It takes the whole year. Yeah. So there's no room for anything else. If you're gonna run, you run. And so it was kind of decided for me. So I always kind of had a love-hate relationship with it. But when I broke that four-minute mile, it was like all those years, all that hard work, yeah. all that pain you go through, it made it. I'll never forget that feeling. It was all worth it in that moment. Like when I did that, yeah. that dream came true. Yeah. And not a lot of our dreams come true in life. Some of them do. And yeah. this was one that did. And it was like, I'll never forget that feeling. It was like total elation. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, that's the reason why I wanted to meet you originally. I mean, flat out, we have a mutual friend, Sam Glenn, who's also yeah. a motivational, inspirational speaker. Yep. Um, that I've been talking to for a number of years, and he's like, you got to meet this guy, Eddie. And I'm like, great. And reached out on LinkedIn, and I looked you up, and I'm like, holy mackerel, this guy ran a four-minute mile, and I talk about my yeah, paddle, paddling pumpkins, and I talk about, and I, I use yeah. the four-minute mile example in many of my keynotes. I'm like, I've, I've got to meet this guy. I want to learn about the four-minute mile, and I've learned so much more beyond the four-minute mile, uh, which we'll get into some of your program here in a minute. But, you know, listening to you talk to, you know, 800, 900 kids today, there were a couple of takeaways that I got that were were alarming to me that I want to want to address, which is there were 800, some odd 800 of the top athletes in Massachusetts scholastic sports today. And you asked a, a question today, which was, you know, well, you told them, you know, you got to get your sleep, you got to eat well, you got to take care of your body, you got to take care of yourself. And you asked the audience, kids, 
to raise their hands if they got the, the required nine hours of sleep that they needed. And I, I was I was astonished that less than probably 10 yeah, raised yeah. their hands. Not even that. I think it was like three. Yeah. yeah. And then you said eight in just a few hands. And then you said six or less. And it was like 99% right. of these kids aren't getting the sleep that they need. That's That to me is alarming in so many ways. Uh, do you see that a lot? First of all, do you see that a lot with, with these kids' programs that you're doing when you're asking about something? Is this a widespread issue where kids just aren't getting the sleep they need? Yeah, because it's like they, they say other than the time you're born for the first few months of life, the time you need the most rest is the age that they're at now, from kind of like from 12 to 17, uh, because the body is changing so much. There's so many things happening mm-hmm. within them, and, they, and rest is where we heal. Rest is where we regenerate. Right. Rest is where we rejuvenate. All this stuff happens during our rest phases. Like, And you, knew that, you learned that as an athlete because, and that was one of the things I learned the hard way too because I didn't take enough rest a lot mm-hmm. of times. You'd work really hard, do those 16 quarters. Many times to give myself more confidence, I would, uh, the day before a race, I would I was out there like pushing my body when that was the dumbest thing to do because I was breaking my body down. Right. It's when I, when you, so we had easy days. And just like in life, you got to have the easy days. You got to have your days of rejuvenation. And that's where the healing and the growing and the strength actually takes place. Mm-hmm. You break down the body in workouts. Then when it re, when it heals, it rejuvenates and it becomes stronger. Yep. And it happens during rest. And so these kids need this rest. And so, oh, yeah, we're seeing this. Well, a lot of it's social media. A lot of it is the technologies of today and how plugged in they are. We all are. I mean, yeah. how everyone's very plugged into things. And we're more distracted than we've ever been. Um, young people especially. more. It's the most distracted generation we've ever seen. Um, and their minds are being occupied constantly by all this information and all this stuff that they're doing that, you know, they're just not resting. And they don't, they almost don't know how to quiet their minds. Well, that's, it's an interesting point because, and one of, and also what I talk about and focus on with working with people is the 14,400 or the 168. It's the one thing that all of us have the exact same, it's the exact same number, and that's the number of hours in a week or the number of minutes in a week. That's, mm-hmm. we're all given that same number. And when you look at the reports that say that we're consuming the equivalent of 11 hours of digital um, input, never mind all the other stuff, right. we're drawing so much time away that they're not getting any sleep. And I was just, I, I was just kind of floored by it. And I'm not a sleeper. I'm, you know, my voice is off right now. I'm, I'm going through some exhaustion because I've done, you know, almost 50 days straight on the road traveling, doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that my body just gets to a point where it just shuts down, and it's not right. good. I know it's not healthy. I know it's not right, but it's one of those things that you just have to. You get caught up in the in the moment of everything that's happening, and you just don't think about yourself and the importance of of taking care of yourself the way that you're supposed to, and then you have what I have. Um, so, you know, sleep is important. That was one of the things that I just want to make sure that my listeners, you know, get your kids to sleep, figure out how to get yourself to sleep. I know mm-hmm. it's hard. My two-year-old, you've got you've got a two-year-old, and you got one on the way in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's a hard thing to and do. And two get sleep. teenagers. Yeah, yeah, and two teenagers, yeah. So you're, 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 you're now 24-7. Yeah. Um, one other story before we get into kind of your program, uh, you told a story today that was that was really dialed in. I really related to it. It was about when you were running cross country and your dad was telling you to, to do your best. And well, he was telling me to be the best. Be, be the best. Be the That's best. right. Be the best. Well, t- tell the story because I, I know I'll butcher it, but I know the message yeah, this, and I, and well, I believe it. The story goes, it starts with uh, February 22nd, 1980, watching the Olympic Games with my dad. I'm in eighth grade. It's the, it's the Winter Olympics. It's the 80 hockey team, the Miracle yep. on Ice. And we sat there together and watched that. 
And my dad, when they won, when they beat the Russians, he went nuts. And he's a quiet guy. Yep. And to see my dad like that was, was startling. But then he looked at me, and he's like, son, this is how you got to live your life. You got to be the best. Yep. And I was in eighth grade. So high school starts. I'm this gifted runner. Um, and uh, he was on me, pushing me all the time to be the best, be the best. So now, so to be the best cross-country state champion, that's how you know who the best is. At the end of the year, there's one guy, one girl. They're the best. So that became my, my goal. And my dad was on me all the time to be the best. Well, the state meet comes, and I tell the story about, I take you through the race. And my rival was a guy from York High School, which is legendary for their cross country. His name was Jim White. And uh, he, was my, he was my rival since freshman year. He and I were like cream of the crop. There was a, lot, there was a handful of guys that were all about the same talent. And, um, you know, it came down to he and I to the very end of the race. He, he, we broke away. It was just a two-man race. And it came down to the finish, and he outkicked me at the end. He beat me at the finish line. And I was crushed. You know, I was, I was crushed. But mainly what, what was hurting me the most was what my dad was going to think. Because sometimes when we're young, we don't always do things for ourselves. We do it for the approval of our parents. Or we want, we want their approval. We want them to be proud of us. And we, sometimes that takes precedence, which can be a lot of pressure on a kid. And we, so as parents, we kind of got to watch that, like watch how we, you know, be careful about what we're, what we're doing, what we're putting on our kids because, um, and we can get to that later, but, but anyway, so I was really upset about dad's going to be mad. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't the best. So I come out of the finish line. It's called the shoot. You come out of the finish line, shoot. And now you're out where all the people are. And I look up and I see my dad running toward me off in the distance. And he's like, he's, I mean, just. Tons of people all over the place. And he's knocking people out of the way. He's literally like, get out of my way. Like He's yep. trying to get to me. And I see his face. Like, he's beaming. He's smiling. And he's like, and I just thought, oh, man, it was such a close race. He didn't see the finish. He thinks I, I won it. Look yep. at his face. Comes up without a word, grabs hold of me. Biggest hug he's at. My dad's not an affectionate guy. And this day, he's hugging me, like, holding me close. Like, oh, my God. And, I'm, and I go, he let me go, and I go, Dad, you know, I got beat. I got second. He's like, I know. He's like, I saw it. It was amazing. And he, was, he went on, and he's like, oh, my God, it was so amazing. Because at the one-mile mark, I made the move. I broke away from the pack. I yep. took off. I had the courageous move to go, yep. which I normally didn't do that. But I knew this day something told me, just go for it. And then Jim White's the only one that followed me. But uh, he's like, when you took off at the mile... When you went for it, you courageously just went like, oh, man, I knew this is it. Look at him. Mm-hmm. He's like, son, he's like, today <coughs> today you did your best. Your best. Yep. And then it was instantly, because he was proud of me. And he was happy. And, and I felt okay. I felt, okay, he's happy. You know, like, I was mad I didn't win, but I was, he was right. Jim White was better than me that, that day. He beat me. And I gave it everything I had. And that's all. So the, the premise of the story and why I share it is because all we can do is be our best. We can't be more than that. So, you know, I talk to people all the time about what is that? What is your best? Stop worrying and comparing to everyone else. And, and this is a hard thing for a competitive guy like me because you spend a lot of your life trying to be better than. And you, know, you realize as you get older that's not the road to happiness. It's not the road to fulfillment. It's not the road to being your best self. And, and that's why you see a lot of ex-athletes when they're done with their sport, they don't know what to do with their lives because they're so honed into competition. And right. then you see 
you know, things like Lance Armstrong and decisions that are made and, you know, cheating that happens and, and I just got to be the best. And it's yeah. like, and it's not being your best. And, you know, it's a, I get it. I get why it happens, but I also get for you to be satisfied and for you to live your best life and, and, and be happy, like really joyous. It's like, just do the best you can and, and just try. Yeah. And I think that's a feeling that, uh, you know, we were at Gillette Stadium, Tom Brady, arguably the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. for 99% of quarterbacks to go out uh, every day and say, I'm going to be better than Tom Brady, when you don't know how much better you can be against yourself tomorrow, right. is is really where many of us don't succeed, right? It's I do this with sales uh, sales folks that I work with and, and, and performance-based pay people that I've worked with over time that they get discouraged if they're the, not the top performer, top producer. And I always say, look, there's territories, there's, there's, there's areas, there's, there's different significant things that could happen that are out of your control. The only thing you can control is how you show up to work every day, the work that you do, and how you close it out, mm-hmm. and your attitude and mindset. And you're absolutely right. Most people, and parents too, like, Parents have an ex- unrealistic expectation that their kid is the next pro whatever, and they put that pressure on that kid. They don't understand the, the, the magnitude because well, they forget it, yeah, what it's like. I call that the Tiger Woods effect. That's yeah. because Earl Woods took his son, who happened to be a prodigy. Yeah. I mean, I don't care how long you – that kid – I mean, you can tell early on when a kid's gifted. Yeah. You can tell. And that's – and we've also monetized youth sports in this nation, which is like – so it's it's – it's preying off of the dreams of the parents. And mm-hmm. um, I also see that this is another problem that's causing lack of sleep, a lot of stress, and a lot of anxiety in young people, is we're living in a very comparative society now because mm-hmm. of social media and because of what people always putting out their highlights. Right. Their highlights. You and I had a nice dinner reel. last yeah. night. And like, hey, look where I'm at. I'm, yep. I'm at Davio's over. Look where I'm at. Outside Gillette Stadium at Patriot Place. Yep. Look at my light, you know. Which we, we didn't do that, yeah, but we're yeah. talking about it. So that's the same thing. Like everybody's envisioning that, right, that right. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. so it's like um, you, you get this – people are put their highlights out there, and so people start to comparatively live yeah. instead of just live. One of my things I hate the most is like on Facebook you'll see, you know, a person uh, with a cup of coffee saying, I'm enjoying my coffee, watching this beautiful sunrise. And it's a picture of the coffee cup and the sunrise. And my thing is you're not – in the moment. Right. You're chronicling the moment and posting the moment and acting like you're actually doing this moment when you're not really doing it. You're talking about doing it. Yeah. And there's a difference there. You're not living authentically in the moment. And I think the new keeping up with the Joneses, like when we were younger, it was the car you drove, the house you lived in, the clothes you wore. Mm-hmm. Now it's look at my kid. Mm-hmm. Look how good my kid is. Yep. And they don't realize the pressure and the anxiety and the stress they're putting on their kid to perform. Mm-hmm. At the highest levels, to make mom and dad happy, right? And you know we gotta we gotta be we gotta parent better than that because we're we're gonna destroy you can yeah. destroy your kid. Oh yeah, no, and it's happening. I mean, we're just seeing so much with 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 children depression. I I had uh, Willie Adams. He probably didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast yet because we just released it uh, recently. But you know, she's a middle school principal, and I was talking to her, and it's you know. It, I've never seen or heard about, you know, 10-year-olds committing suicide until recently. And now you hear it almost weekly somewhere in the country. Some child under 12 has chosen to take their own life. And it's like, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're 12 or under, 
you should still be playing with toys. You should still be thinking about the holidays and thinking about your friends and, and, and figuring things out. You shouldn't be feeling bad enough that you, that you want to, you know, no longer live. We shouldn't have to have technology that searches for key phrases that kids are typing to learn about that could do bodily harm to themselves or others. Yet we are. Yeah. And a lot of that is probably that the pressures that these these kids are put on, to, and it could be and it could be be better at school, could yeah. be art, could be whatever. We have to um, teach our kids to be more resilient. Yeah, I mean we really do because it's like this stuff isn't changing. Mm-mm. This is how it is now, and so we can try to shelter them as much as we can. Like I've got a two year old, yeah. you know, you've got a you've got a young one, and you know I got another one coming. It's like I can shelter them to a point. Yeah. But what I really want to do is arm them well in life to deal and cope with the ups right. and downs of what's really going on. And, you know, that's you want them to be resilient and get them to know that they're stronger than they realize. And we were talking about this this quote earlier mm-hmm. from uh, Rainier Wilkes, I think Maria Wilkes. Is, mm-hmm. uh, it says, uh, let all things happen to you, beauty and terror, just keep going because yeah. no feeling is final. Mm-hmm. Like we got to get young people. We got to get all of us to understand that. Right. That it just doesn't. You don't. When you're stuck or you're you're struggling or you're hurting, first you got to ask for help. Yep. One of the things I've discovered the 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 biggest thing that has changed my life is the power of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. To really forgive, to have the power to forgive. Like I say this all the time. Like all right, someone who someone who hurts you, but what do you do when you hurt you? Mm-hmm. Can you forgive? And, and know that you're worth it, that you can move forward. And you, the key is to be of growth mindset, to learn yeah. from your mistakes and to grow and to know that mistakes are going to happen. I'm not perfect, and that's okay. You know, it's like I'm, I'm going to get knocked down in life. It's like the, the, how the Buddhists are, you know, embrace the suffering because yeah. know it's going to be there. And when you start to embrace it, find joy in the suffering. Yeah. And that's, a, that's it's very profound. And when you, when you really try to live your life that way and, and forgive – because you're worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you you don't deserve to be stuck in that dark place. Right. And you got to you got to give yourself, you got to be as compassionate and as loving to yourself as you are to the people you love the most in your life because that relationship you have with you is the key. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's I I I I hope this is what some of the things that they heard today in my message because uh it's it's hard out there. It mm-hmm. is hard out there for for young people and we got to we got to help build them up. Yeah. Well, let's let's touch on, um, and you didn't you went into it a bit today, but you you've got a formula. Yeah, yeah. you've got a four minute formula. Yep. So, so. <laughs> let's let's touch on as much of that as you want. Um, yeah, I mean, and, I, I created this formula, and mainly for uh, I do a lot of uh, work with a lot of companies, work with a lot of a lot of associations, and in my adult work, um, I realize that. You know, people like things broken down, like, the, you know, eight-minute abs. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a, the, the three-day work week, yep. uh, you know, all these different kind of – and so I, that be, kind of become the trend. And, like, well, I started to think about, well, what's something – obviously something significant that I've been able to do and accomplish is run this sub-four-minute mile. Mm-hmm. So I really started sitting down thinking about what did that take? Like, what's the formula to make that to, – to have made that happen? Yep. And I came to realize – it's the same formula you can pretty much apply to anything you want to try to do in your life because the, the, the pillars are there. The pillars, the tenets are there of like going to help you find that success, whatever you determine your success to be. Um, and so it starts with what do you want to do? I mean, 
it's amazing. You probably see this too, and, and that we we do this for a living. When you meet people that are, seem lost or stuck, and you say, "Well, what do you want to do?" and they have no idea, mm-hmm. they can't even tell you. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. It's like, well, there's your first problem. Like, <laughs> what's some things you want to get done? And the research shows the more specific you are about what you want to do, the more likely you are to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's so I I want to run a mile under four minutes. That's pretty specific. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's what I want to do. Now the biggest probably the biggest key of all is the second step. Do I believe I can actually do it? Okay. That's, you know, I love basketball, love playing. I'll never dunk a basketball, not without a trampoline. I'm five foot eight. I can barely jump anymore. I'm 52. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I can't even see myself dunking a basketball. So it's it's not going to happen, right? But other things that I do in my life, why is it important to be able to see? I mean, how do you know if you believe in what you can do? What can you imagine it? Can you see it? Can you visualize yourself there? And the reason why this is so important, and I use examples like the movie Willy Wonka mm-hmm. and the chocolate room and like how he imagined all of this and became real. Um, that's what he's talking about. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. See it first. Believe it's possible. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why that's so important is for what it does for you in the present. If I really believe I can break a four-minute mile. Now, that dream was born at the age of 15, mm-hmm. sophomore year in high school. Didn't happen until I was a senior at Loyola University, Chicago. I was 22. Right. So that's a seven-year span, all right? But I always imagined myself, I could see it. I used to see the race, see myself finishing, look at the clock, see three minutes, you know, see that, that time. And um, so I believe it can be done. Now, that motivates me and inspires me to do something about it in the present. And that's why it's so important to believe and practice visualization. Mm-hmm. You might not get there. I tell, I'd say this to my audiences all the time. I've had a lot of dreams in my life. Most of them have not come true. Right. Some of them have, but I believed in everyone. At 52, I still got, got big dreams about stuff I want to do. And I practice imagining it happening because when I see it, I can see myself there. I believe it can happen. Now get up and do something. Go, make the, go create your future. Mm-hmm. Best way to predict the future, create the future. Go do it. Start building it because it's not going to happen just because you dream it so. You've got to work hard for it. But there is something that happens that spurs that on, that inspires that hard work. It's the belief that I can get there. That generates my passion. My passion builds my enthusiasm, my attitude. And thus now I begin to work towards that that goal, that dream. Mm -hmm. Seven years later, it happened. Okay? So it's a process. There is no overnight success. What's the saying? It takes 20 years to be an overnight success? Yeah. Yeah, so it's like... So that's the second step in the formula. The third step is who are the people that are going to help you. So you got to identify your team. All of us need a team. Can't do it alone. Who are the people that are going to help you? And let them know this is what I want to do. And, you know, monitor closely their response. Because if you get someone who doesn't believe in you, mm-hmm. that, should, that person should not be on this team to help you. Because if they don't believe it's going to happen for you, well... You don't want those. It's going to be hard enough as it is. Mm-hmm. So surround yourself with people that say, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I believe in, I believe in, like meeting you, yeah. you know, you and I have got some pretty big goals in our lives and things, and, and you're a yes person. I can tell right, you, we've talked enough, and I've gotten to know you enough to know that how much you care about helping people. And that's, a, that's such a key. That's a person you want on your team, okay? Now, the fourth step is the game plan. So this is where you got to get meticulous about your your habits, you and I were talking about this yeah. before about how we eat and how we you know, how we take care of us and the rest. Like you you are you're running yourself ragged, and 
and you got to take care of you. And the most important relationship on your team is the one you have with yourself. But now the game plan. What am I going to do each day? That's where the sleep, you know, the, the, what you eat, what you drink, mm-hmm. the things you can control. You know, there's, a lot, there's enough in life we can't control. But there are some things we do control. Like you were talking about the, how much time you have, time management, what you do at that time. Um, but uh, that whole idea of the game plan, these are the habits. These are the things that you got to do daily. You know, if you're going to break a four-minute mile, then you got to train for that. you got to work and make that happen. Every, every, every day you got to be working towards it. Even if it's like i got to have my time where I'm going to be, you know, resting or, or icing. i got to ice. i got to stretch. i got to weight lift. i got to do work in the pool. There's all these things you got to be doing. And each day is a plan toward getting you where you want to be. And the next step, the fifth step, is uh, what are you going to do when the pain hits? Now, that's more about when things aren't going your way. The plan's not working. I got knocked down. I got disappointed. I screwed up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where innovation, thinking outside the box, you know, being creative, also realizing that, okay, this is not the result I want. What do I got to do to change that? And who's going to support me, you know, when this pain hits? Because it's going to hit. Yeah. There's going to have to be those moments where, you know, and that's why running, distance running, every race hurts. At some point, it hurts. Right. Whether you break the four-minute mile or you get dead last, it's going to hurt at some point. And you got that's what the training is about. It's about, it's about training in pain. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you deal with the, how cope with the pain? Now, think about this is, is life, mm-hmm. you know, training in pain. What are you going to do when the pain hits? And that's, it's easy to talk about when you're not in the midst of it. Right. But when you're in the midst of it, it's a whole other story. So, and the next step, the sixth step, is the destination point. You got to have a finish point. When am I going to do this? If you just leave it open ended, right? It's too easy to not be accountable, and it's too easy to give up on it. Mm-hmm. You got to have a time where it's like, this is when I'm going to get this done, and that's key too. And then the seventh step, the final step, is okay. It ain't all about you. Now, how are you going to give back to this world? How are you going to contribute? To help the lives of others, mm-hmm. service, and I think that's that's the most that's been most the most rewarding part of my life mm-hmm. is the service and the contribution I try to give to others. We've talked about that, yep. and I know you do that a lot as well. And that's that's where the meaning and the purpose really come to play. So that's it's a seven step formula mm-hmm. that no matter who you're working with, you lay this out, have someone like really focus and put their mind to it, and let's see it. Let's let's create a formula here. What are you going to do? Um, it really, it really can help people succeed, and it helps businesses, it helps different groups, it helps individuals. Um, you know, so it's 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 a thing I try to teach and implement, you know, around the country. And one of the, I'm glad you're giving me this format to to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, and uh, and before we close out, I have one question, and then I'll, I'll I'll ask you. Well, I have a couple questions, but the first, the last question that I have regarding your talks, you danced today. Yeah, yeah I how dance. many how many dances did you do? How many songs did you dance to? I don't know. I, 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 I mean, really I think it was know. like fifty. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. If if you want to check this out, do a search on YouTube for Eddie Slokowski and look for look at his videos. He's got ones that he does this dance routine that is got to be one of the best ones I've ever one of the best closings I've ever seen. Um, it's just so I mean, people were in the audience were dancing to a song and then it switched to another song and. Another group well, people dancing. know of it as the evolution of dance. Who so a friend of mine, yep. a speaker named Judson Lapley, he created that. Yeah, I've been speaking longer than Judson. I've been dancing before that, way before yep. that. And uh, when he came out with that, and that thing went viral. That was like one of the biggest YouTube sensations of all yep. time. 
um, I thought, you know, I need to do one. And when I do, I called mine the Revolution of Dance, just to be just yeah. to be funny. But um, I was doing this stuff back in college, back in the the 80, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. You know, with a thing called Hunger Week. So I was already that was the origination of you know one guy would be I I'd be Michael Jackson, another guy would be MC Hammer, another guy would be yeah. a Vanilla Ice, and I teach everybody what to do. So it was basically that with uh, with my track team members, mm-hmm. and we raised money for the homeless and the hungry in Chicago. So it was about service, but it was a show that we did. Mm-hmm. So that's where the roots of that came from. And so I started dancing in my presentations. If you, yeah, Eddie Speak is the best yeah. way to find it. Um, one word, E-D-D-I-E-S-P-E-A-K. Mm-hmm. Put that into YouTube and you'll find Slowakowski's No One Can Spell It. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was, yeah. well, that was my closing question, which yeah. is, I mean, you, you, do the, you, you go around and you talk to um, companies, you talk to associations, you talk to groups that support children, you talk to athletic associations for kids in high school. I mean, you, you cover the whole gambit of things. But how do people get a hold of you to explore if you're a fit? And yeah, that's, I mean, what's unique about my career is that, you know, this, what I do kind of reaches a lot of different types of audiences. And so I have a very diverse audience base. It's not just any one group. And, um, and everything I do is on peak performance. So that works in a lot of areas. And you can get a hold of me, eddiespeak.com is my website. So it's E-D-D-I-E-S-P-E-A-K. Dot com No S on the end. Everyone's like, Eddie Speaks? I'm like, I almost should have made it that because yeah. everyone thinks it's that. It's eddiespeak.com. Um, and that's where you can find all kinds of information. You can see video. You can see promotional stuff. You can see, you know, what we do and, mm-hmm. and what we It's a family company. Um, like my parents started this stuff back in the year, early 70s, and uh, they're still going strong and doing their thing. And my sister is my manager, and I do my thing. So, so it's like having... My own company within the family company, but yeah. I, I help take care of my family that way too. So it's uh, we all work together and take care of each other, and we're a very close family, and that's that's how that's who we are. So yeah, yeah. And you're on LinkedIn. You I'm on, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yep, and I think it's Eddie Speak. Eddie Speak seems to be where you find me. Eddie yeah. Slowakowski, S L O W I K O W S K I. There, I spelled it for okay, you. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll put it, it'll be on the it'll be on the description of the podcast. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, Eddie, really appreciate that. You know, it's always interesting when, um, you know, whether someone does an introduction or I just kick on someone's door and say, "Hey, we got to talk. We got to get together." It's it's amazing how open and willing and 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 comfortable it gets so quickly. I mean, most yeah. people wouldn't say that you and I met last night, sat sat at dinner for a couple hours, and, right. and I sat in the back of a room and watched you speak this morning. And now we're having a, an open dialogue that's that's comfortable. And let me, let me just say, too, Joshua, it's, uh, you know, I said this to you earlier, but I, I'm, it's, it's heartfelt that uh, it's hard for me to connect with people that I don't feel are, are being authentic. And you are easy from the get-go. You are you are the real deal. You're an authentic guy. You're, you know, I appreciate it. I, I can see this being a friendship. Yeah. Like when I come out, kind of thing, if I come out east, hey, what are you doing? You know, I want to get together, you know, that kind of thing. Like you're, you're, a, you're a good guy. <laughs> And I, I appreciate you. And I and thank you to Sam Glenn, another good guy, yeah. who kind of made this connection for us. 100%. Absolutely. Well, you got to catch a flight. I got to catch a kid at school. Yep. Uh, it's a rainy Friday. Really appreciate you. I'm, I'm looking forward to absolutely uh, continued friendship and, and, and more meals and, uh, yep. and laughs <laughs> and, 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 and bouncing ideas off of each other's head. This will do it for episode 40, a milestone 40. 
Um, if you asked me in June of, of 2018 if I would do 40 podcasts and get comfortable with this, I'd tell you no, I'm getting more comfortable every episode, and I get more comfortable because of you, the followers and listeners of Be Awesome, the people that encourage me and support me, who's around me, uh, as Eddie talks about, or my group, I'm, I'm, I'm the average of the, fee- the five people around me. I have a lot more than five. I've got a lot of great people, and keep the feedback coming. Keep keep sharing with what I can do better and how I can do better. As always, if you do a rating and review on iTunes or even do it on SoundCloud or Stitcher or any of the other ones, just drop me an email, Josh at Beausome, B-E-A-U-S-M.com. I'll put a shirt in the mail, tell me what size. I'll put a Beausome t-shirt in the mail because I value your time for you doing that. And that those ratings and those reviews is what gets me up the food chain for when people are just generally searching for motivation, inspiration, podcasts. So in the meantime... I changed my I changed my my tagline if you can be anything be awesome thank you